Our next episode of True Crime, Fashion and Passion is heartbreaking. It is brutal, it is gruesome, and it will really, really break your heart. But it is scandalous. Iana Cassian. This is a story where love really kills. Iana Cassian was scalped alive and left drained of almost all her blood and at her feet was her innocent little baby. Her psycho, crazy baby daddy just lost his shit. This is a story of where true life becomes stranger than fiction. Her husband had been a writer. He was from a very, very wealthy family, and he was just that son that was a little off, and quite the playboy at that. This is a story that is filled with gossip and innuendo and just so many different layers. Tune in, sit back, and get obsessed with true crime, fashion, and passion, and Iana Cassian's story. Thank God for fashion. I think there's so much crime in fashion because people are drawn to fashion. I got into the business of fashion to tell stories. Flashes all around. Top model Gia got it all, all at once. At the end of the day, it's the comeuppance. The runway catway's mine. We have very eclectic personalities. I'm here with Philip Blosh. My fabulous co-host, Pat Cleveland. Biggest crime in fashion has been the death of Versace. Shortly before 9 a.m., fashion designer Gianni Versace was shot on the steps of his villa. And now I get to tell the stories of people I love in fashion. When people are caught and they have to pay for their crimes. Body found yesterday in the Seine River in Paris. How did she die? Katusha Neon. Sylvie Cachet was on top of the world. Her body found in an overflowing bathtub. You're listening to True Crime, Fashion and Passion with your host, Philip Locke. Welcome to True Crime, Fashion and Passion. My name is Philip Locke. As we all know, I am fascinated by true crime, and today's story is something that really, I keep finding it all goes back to the parents. You can't blame your parents. You have to take accountability for your own life. But this is one of those stories that is definitely the sins of the father weighs heavy on the son, and a mother's love will eventually bring the conclusion to this story. Joining me today is my extraordinary co-host, the beautiful, the amazing, Carol Alt. Hey, Philip. This story broke my heart because it's more like the Black Dahlia than any of the other stories that we have talked about. Just the way that this story unfolds is just terrifying. And and of course, it's, it's a young girl from the Ukraine. What could be more apropos in this moment? In this time, in this it's time in history, you know, than to talk about have, a beautiful girl from the Ukraine. You know, we all have such solidarity for the Ukraine at this moment. And this story is really interesting because I, I was working in Hollywood at the time, and I was working with Sandy Bullock on her office was uh, on Hall- Holloway Boulevard, right near the Virgin Records store, the old Virgin Records store. I remember on, that uh, store. On Sunset. Everybody knows that store. Yeah, it was famous. Right down the block from there. And I'm leaving Sandy's sometime in the afternoon, maybe three, four in the afternoon. And the street is just block, 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 block for, for several blocks. And, and you could see it was further. I was making a right turn and the traffic was going all the way up the left past Sunset. It was all jammed. Everything was jammed in Hollywood because of this case. And I was in my convertible pickup truck and um, with gowns and jewels in the back and um when I finally got close to the where the police were I was like bro what happened over here you know the policeman was there and I said bro bro what happened and he comes over he says 
And you could just see the bewilderment on his face. And he said, man, this is the worst case I have ever seen. So let's talk about this case. I mean, the cop literally started to describe to me what had happened inside and what he saw inside. And we're going to tell you all that in just a little bit, because this is something that was so gruesome. The cops have never seen anything like this. But meanwhile, we have Iana. Iana was born Iana Cassian, January 27th, 1986 in Kiev. Ukraine, which we've heard a lot about. Ah, she was born with dark hair, dark eyes, a strong character, a bold personality. She was breathtakingly beautiful. And she had like an innocence. She had like this beautiful light skin and that dark hair. It was stunning. And she had a really happy personality. And she was smart. Like you, she studied law. And she was a tax prosecutor. Absolutely. She became a tax prosecutor. And she spoke in English and Russian. Absolutely. As well as the native tongue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In 2014, she decided to follow her dreams. She was like, being a lawyer is not enough for me, a tax, you know, tax prosecutor. I want to follow my dreams. I'm going to America. I'm it's gonna... a great career to fall back on. But while I'm young and beautiful, let me... Let me go and see what my possibilities are. And I always think, do you know what your destiny is? Like, when that comes to you and you say, you don't know I'm going to America to be killed and, and I'm going to be famous. You go, I'm going to America. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be successful. You know, But she was. Dream? She started modeling. She started getting modeling jobs. Well, it was very interesting because this is one of those cases where she didn't really have an agency and she started to get modeling jobs online, which, again, is often sketchy. You know, the great thing about our, our time as as supermodels, your time as a supermodel, your time as a supermodel and my time as a working model where we had agencies. We were with the big agencies. We worked It was with the simpler, big... for sure. There was there was a tracking system, so to speak. You, you knew you were going to a real job. There was a real photographer. And you knew you weren't going to get raped going to a, a casting. Well, that might not be true in every case, <laughs> yes, for well, sure. Yes, well, that's for sure, and, as, and, as we've since learned. And since we've learned that. But what I think bothers me about these this online stuff is that there's a good side and a bad side to it. Yes. So say there's a girl who's beautiful, but the agency doesn't feel like taking her. Yeah. But there's a market for her. Yeah. She can create her own life and her own career. At the same time, when you're going out there without the protection of an agency or without people knowing where you are yes. or going with a buddy, yeah. I always went with a buddy, except when yeah. I read for Steven Spielberg because I figured mm -hmm. he was okay. Eh, you know, I've heard of him. He's got a future. <laughs> He's got a future. So I, I read for him one time, but he had people with him. Yeah, so you went to his people. <laughs> yeah, So, but you always have to protect yourself because nobody else is going to protect you. So Absolutely. even though an online thing might have good side, it's definitely got that bad side. Well, and all you bad people out there, all you guys that think you're going to get models and get away with something, it's tracked. Like, Every case we talk about, they go backwards. They track. We know where you are. You get found out. You well, know. they can follow the phone, CCTV. A absolutely. They're, they're, it's so hard to get away with murder these days, as, as, as the show says. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not easy to get away with murder these days. You're going to be found out. So I don't even know how people think, oh, I'm going to find you online and someone's not going to tell where you came from. Once, once no, they I'm already they, dead. they think I'm going to take you know? the phone away. Well, they just yeah. came to your apartment. Yeah, they've, they've already been tracked. It's already in the data. And Big let's Brothers hope that's the case always. But anyway, let's get back to Yana. So let's talk about where things start to go bad. Blake. Blake Libel is this man that she meets along the way. Blake Libel is a graphic novelist born May 8th, 1981 in Canada. But he Blake, was from a great family, Blake. Great family. Lauren Libel was a real estate tycoon, a multi-generational family of tycoons. You know, his mother was Eleanor. Eleanor came from a huge plastics family. Her family was very big. They had owned all these plastics on patents, uh, plastic patents, and made fortunes. Fortunes 
fortunes. So he had every advantage. Every advantage. He has but, a brother, Cody. But he's got a weird family. The, 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 this is the power and the money thing. This is where the, the rich man with the money wields the power. And when he's done, the game changes. So when their parents divorce, he has a brother named Cody also. And and when the when the family divorces, they decide to separate the boys. With the boys. So one goes with the so Blake goes with his mother, and Cody is sent with his father, and life is forever different. The I brother. can't imagine being split from my siblings. It's such a strange thing to do to the kids, and basically, I don't think there was much cross pollination after that point. I think that Cody was with dad, and Blake was with mom, and until teenage years, when we've seen in other cases where they all end up in Hollywood together, and they they have this bond because they're brothers. There's a bond. There's a they're missing something. So Cody was really. Cody was involved in some some shady stuff also. Let's let's be clear. Cody was running with the fast crowd. He was hanging out with all the hot spots in 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 LA. He was o- the owner of a hot spot in LA and he was part of this big poker game. Now, do you know did you see Molly's game? Yeah. So, Molly's game is based on a true story and it was a poker game that everybody went to Ben Affleck, Leonardo DiCaprio, Toby Maguire. This was really the in game and I, I a couple of my friends used to be part of it. So, Cody was part of this also, and he brought Blake into this game. That comes, that gets a little deeper later on because, like drugs, gambling starts out fun. Of course, it's addictive, and it doesn't end well. You know, it, it it's fun until it's not fun. Blake was really the more creative brother. You know, uh, Cody was the entrepreneur. He was the mover and the shaker. He had the personality. Again, part of the father. I think so interesting how the father sort of pick Cody and sort of said, ah, he's more like me. He's the mover and the shaker and he's the entrepreneur. He's my, that's my boy. This one, uh, he's a little different. He's like his mother. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We don't know too much about the mom, but we do know that she came from a wealthy family and she brought him up. But but my guess is maybe she's more the I creative. meant personality-wise. Exactly, exactly. And so he comes to Hollywood. He's working with, with Cody. He's hanging out with Cody. Cody's trying to help him out. You know, Blake is one of these weird people, so he has a lot of money. There's and a he's lot of educated. money. He's educated. He's educated. Went to the University of Ontario. He's an educated boy. Absolutely, but he's deep in his thoughts. He's definitely he's got a good personality too. But he he doesn't really show up. He makes a lot of appointments. He's a dreamer. He's got all these ideas that he wants to do, but he can't really make it happen. Which you know, living in Hollywood for years, there's a lot of people with a lot of great ideas, including myself. And you can't always make them happen. You can get the right connections. You can have a I had a production deal with Lionsgate and Queen Latifah for five years, and the movie never happened. I had a a deal with with Tracy Edmonds, you know, Babyface's ex-wife, five years, deal never happened. You can have these amazing deals, and nothing comes of it. Yeah, sometimes it's a matter of timing. Absolutely. absolutely. It's not always connections. And fate, yeah, it's not always connections, because you can have those connections in Hollywood. And and Blake had those. He was working with Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, wow, and Spaceballs. Spaceballs, yeah. Yeah. There was a cartoon of that. I mean, you think, wow, okay, this I'm on my way. Well, Blake also was a graphic novelist, which, you know, it's kind of a novel, but with a lot of pictures. Right. So he's artsy. He's definitely artsy. His first book was called Syndrome. This turned out to be really, really ominous. The cover of this book had a, a doll, a baby doll, and half of the baby dolls. I remember dolls, this cover. Do you remember it? Half the skull was removed. You the- really like creepy shit. 
<laughs> no, I just maybe it just sticks with me more. Yeah, yeah. I like the comeuppance. But you have a you I have don't a, really like the creepy stuff. You have a curiosity for it that I just don't have. Like if I saw that book, I wouldn't even remember it and I'd step away from it. Well, I'd how could like, you not remember seeing something like that? You'd think, wow, like, I would what's going step on away from it. I wouldn't even look at it. If I saw yeah. that what that was, like even when I first saw it, looking at the story, I just didn't even look at it. I, I stepped away. I had to go backwards when I was doing my notes to get the name of the book and really look at that cover because I saw it and I was like, Oh, that's creepy, I don't want to look. It's it, it's very interesting. People, some people, you know, are drawn to it in different ways. Blake became this graphic novelist. Syndrome was a story about a neuropathologist who was trying to figure out the root of all evil while experimenting on serial killers. If somebody tells me this is what their job is, I'm not even going to date them. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I I'm running. <laughs> if you tell me that's your job, I'm definitely headed the op- opposite direction. You know, Syndrome spoke of people being hung and drained of their blood, which we're going to find out is really ominous as we get down this road. There's a blood-soaked mattress. And I'm just saying this because remember these things, like how ominous this is because as we get further down. In 2006, Cody introduced uh, Blake to his first wife, Amanda. Amanda Braun was a model, beautiful, beautiful girl. Amanda's really beautiful. And she was a model in L.A. working. Did you know Amanda? Uh, I, I did. Around the around the way, I heard of Amanda. I saw Amanda around. Like she was definitely She's beautiful. Huh? Beautiful. She was. You, you know, you caught that. When I say someone's beautiful, that yeah. means I liked her. I saw her. I saw you. When I see, I saw you. I yeah, saw no, you. And you've got a you've got a real good eye. I got. I saw you. I saw you. <laughs> like I said, you've got a real good eye. Uh, it was already on a bizarre cover, but you know, <laughs> I can pick him. I can pick him. Blake was not making any money in Hollywood. He was living off his eighteen thousand dollar a month. Allowance. Well, I mean, that I might... got a dollar fifty allowance a, a week, so eighteen thousand dollars a month. It's a lot, right? I mean, it. You know, L.A. and New York are very expensive. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't go very far if you're gambling. Yeah. As well, I mean, I think you said he was he was in a, a the Molly's game. You got to look at the circumstances around it. How far his paycheck that eighteen thousand dollars a month could stretch? Eighteen would you know? stretch I, a long way. I lead a pretty fancy life, and eighteen thousand dollars would last me several months. Really? Yeah. Maybe I, that's L.A. in New York. Yeah. Well, again, you know, the rent depends where you live. You know, yeah. the, the rents are what kills you. You know, here in New York, you're paying five thousand dollars a month. L.A. Yeah, but a it's the gambling. It's the, the gambling was the gambling, gambling was a up. lot of it, and yeah. and just living the life. He was living on one point seven million dollars over eight years, and that all came to an end in two thousand eleven when Blake's mom died of brain cancer. Blake's personality kind of began to change there. Something flipped in that switch there. That was where Blake's switch flipped. The loss of his mother. The loss of his allowance, suddenly that all was was changing. And again, I don't know the exact root of all the money. Was the allowance coming from the mom? Was that from the plastics and the patents? But when the, when the mom died, the money went to his father. Well, that and was And he was pretty much cut off. Well, and and so Blake and Blake's father and his mother were divorced for many years. And that was a big blow to Blake. He felt entitled to that money. And I think that was a lot of the cause of his stress. Suddenly was like, whoa, why is he getting this? I'm I'm the loyal son. Right. I'm entitled, the old entitlement. Talk about white privilege and entitlement. Is is that is that normal that the money would go to a, an ex-spouse if they're divorced? Unless it's in the will. If yeah, it would have to be in the will. If if they were divorced, then it would go to the kids. If there was no will, it would go to the kids automatically. When my mom died, they had a joined property. 
that I never knew about. And my father didn't realize it was joy because my mother did it behind his back. Um, but he ended up getting the house that was supposed to be mine. And that ended up being 20 years in court. Not with my dad. We were together on it. And we paid it. But we had all this problem with my mom's debt. It's very funny how that goes and who gets everything. I always say to people, make sure you know what your parents' will says. Make sure you and your siblings are on the same page. And make sure the irresponsible person is not the one in charge of the will and, and the remains because it will be hell. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to talk about these things while people are alive. Do it. And people don't want to do it. Of course do they it. should do it. My dad talked to me all the time, and I wished I'd taken the time to really look at it because when it when it all happened, it was a mess. And it was 20 years of, of legal wow. stuff. It, it went on after my dad died. Well, Blake had the same issue And here, Blake so. had the same. So Blake... Blake's personality began to change. When his mother died, Blake decided to sue his father for his mother's estate that was worth $12 million. Like, Blakey was going through money here. Blakey, like, had a pension for money. Because why? Blake had a few lives going on, as we start to find out. When Blake also got his mother's condo in Florida and her estate in Toronto, which he sold for a couple million dollars. So he already had so that he had money. Some money. He got that in the thing, but he wanted more. He wanted all $12 million. Well, he ended up with another six. Well, Blake 12. was angry. He went to court and was given six million. And you know why? You know why the one of the reasons the court didn't give him more? Why he didn't go to his mother's funeral? Interesting. The court felt that they could see all the the accounting forensics. They knew how much money Blake had been given. I'm sure they knew other factors that that I'm not privy to yet, but I'm still digging. And the court felt that he was in it for the money. And it wasn't the loss of the mother that upset him. He didn't go to a it's so It was the loss of the income? And, you know, Is that what you're like, saying? Exactly. And mm-hmm. well, Blake's thing was, I was so distraught and I was so upset I couldn't even go to my mother's funeral. I don't know who doesn't get to their parents' funeral, but that's another story. I mean, you go and I don't know that the father went, but but anyway, the but father But he had the money up, already, so. The father ended up with half the money, which, and Blake felt he should have gotten more. By 2015... Blake was really toxic. Toxic. He was having angry tantrums with his friends. He was really, he was just fighting with people. Amanda was eight months pregnant with, with their, their second, second child. child. Absolutely. So she was living through this. Yeah, she was living through this. She already had another kid. So that's, again, the money was going there because Blake had one baby with Amanda. They, yeah, he had a family. She got pregnant and they got married pretty quick after her getting pregnant or she got pregnant right after the marriage. That all happened really quick. Once they met, it kind of happened and then it happened. The other interesting thing is, so at this time, Blake leaves his wife. Like right in the middle, he just disappears and leaves his wife. Leaving a pregnant woman. Yeah, is- which, yeah, we've seen that before. Not not a good look. Not a good, not a good look. look. But the reason is, apparently, he had already met Iana. Iana. He had met Iana online. Now, there were rumors later on it came out that maybe Iana was prostituting herself. There were, like, nude pictures and nude videos of Iana online. Why would she have to? She had a career. You know, the modeling she, career wasn't No, but I mean, quite, she was a tax prosecutor. She could always in in In, in the Ukraine. But, but a lot of times we see that. People end up being a doctor or a lawyer in another country, and they come here and they're a taxi driver. And there wasn't Uber in those days. It's hard to, to transfer those degrees to America. That's a very interesting fact and for another kind of show. But but she probably couldn't, her law license probably wasn't in, she could have got a legal assistant, but she was a beautiful girl. She started modeling and, you know, one thing leads to another, you know. You know, when I started modeling, one of the things I always thought about is I could always go home. Yeah. I always left that door open yeah. and my parents always left that door open for me. So I'm always, I've always been very grateful for that. 
Because I always knew if I got into trouble, I could go home. Absolutely. And a lot of times, again, I have a lot of friends from Europe, and I, I think you do too. They don't want to go home. They don't want to They're go here, home. and, yeah. and you're, you're fighting for You've this made life. It here. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you don't want to go backwards. Uh, you know, there's another case that we'll talk about, Loren Scott. You know, she had such a high oh, yeah, life, Mick Jagger's girlfriend. Well, we'll talk about Loren, a good friend of ours. I you love know, her. She, she was a great designer. Great designer. Great. Well, she designed for the tall, thin girls. She definitely designed for your body type. Her dresses would look phenomenal on you. I but wear Loren them. Was I wear them. at the top of her field, and then suddenly her business wasn't working, and you have that fear of going backwards, and what are people going to say, and I don't want to be a, you don't want to be a but failure. Sometimes you just need a moment to recoup in order to take, you know, one step back for two steps forward. Well, and I guess a lot of people think, hey... I suck a little dick. I take a, take my clothes off. What's it to take a picture nude or blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, it, I guess it it's a choice. It's a choice. It's you a could choice. take one step back or two step forward or you could I just go knew, another direction. I just knew, especially in these times, those times, you don't take your clothes off for a picture unless it's Avedon or Scavulo. Yeah. You don't take your your art. clothes off unless it's art and it's a big photographer in a big magazine. And, and I just wasn't doing it and you weren't doing it. So anyway, Blake brought her a condo. He bought her a Mercedes. Blake was separated from his wife, but not divorced. On August 2015, Iana got pregnant. So this is all like kind of starting to mount here. Now Iana's yeah. pregnant. She has their first child. She seems to be living the so American dream. So now he's got three, three kids, two yep. wives, two condos, two condos, and two lives. Exactly. And two lives. Still not divorced. But Blake is kind of, you know, proposed her. He wants her to get married, but there's, but they're, they're not getting married yet, but he's still supporting the whole, the whole lifestyle. Blake, on the other hand, was stressed. The court shows text messages that he sent his friends was worried about his brother Cody's gambling problems, supposedly. I don't know so much. He doesn't seem like someone who was really concerned about someone else. I think he was more concerned of how it was going to affect him and that he might be re- have to pay some of his money to help the brother. I think that's where he was going. But that's just my thoughts. Um, he owed a lot, quite a lot of money to Russian mobsters, and he was worried about his family being threatened, supposedly in the text. I think he was worried about his money being threatened. I don't think he worried about any of these girls or any of these kids, as we kind of see as we go through the case. May 3rd, 2016, Iana gave birth to a daughter. All seems well in Iana's world, except by this point, Blake has a new woman in his life. Yes, he does. And he buys her a condo down the block from Iana. Well, at least he didn't have to go far. <laughs> there you go. It's all about Blake and and a, an easy commute. Wow. From vagina to vagina, you know? I mean, like, this is just really crazy. Like, this is a man who has no concern for these women. He's just doing him and three of and he's doing three of them. So Constance is her name. Constance is a storyboard artist who's helping him with his graphic novels. And helps him with his projects. He bought her a condo right down the road. Constance gets very jealous. So Constance is... So they all know about each other. No. Iana doesn't... Iana knows he had a wife, but he doesn't know they're still married. She doesn't know that they're still married. Iana knows that Blake has a wife, but Iana doesn't know he's still married. Constance knows about Iana, and he, she knows about the first wife, Amanda. But she reaches out to Amanda to kind of... Form an alliance against uh, Iana. She sees Iana as the competition because she sees, oh, well, Amanda's gone. She's like trying to get away from Blake. She's just living her best life with her kids and doesn't want any part of him, really. So she and, and Amanda form a triumphant and they start doing some digging about Iana. And that's where the nude pictures surface and that's where the nude videos come Oh, up. see, yeah. So, yeah, that's what a woman you knew scorned. about. That's what you knew, yeah. A woman scorned. So they sort of dig that up mm. and they start figuring, oh, she's a prostitute, she's a this, she's a that. They are, they're forming this little alliance and Iana is the victim of all their hate. This is the crazy thing with girls sometimes. Why are they hating on her instead of Blake? 
Why is she the one they pick on? I have no answer for that, but it seems to be the age-old tale that this always is the way, that the girl's going up against the other girl. So It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense. And it's a long leap from a nude picture to prostitution. I mean, that's a really long leap. Well, you know, girls will be girls, we'll just say, and, and mean girls will be mean girls. And, you know, Constance definitely, Constance ends up being not a good person at the end. We At the end of the story, in the follow-up, we end up finding out Constance is not so good either. By this point, Blake now has three women. He's extremely stressed, and he's becoming more and more controlling and aggressive. Iana had a C-section, so she doesn't want to give it up anymore. And I'm sure she's like, she doesn't realize that Constance is even happening down the hall. Check this out. This this gets more complicated. So Blake is, is you know, threatening, like, you have to have sex with me. If you don't have sex with me, I'm going to leave you. He starts to degrade her, and he starts to say, if you don't have sex with me, I'm going to have sex with other women, <laughs> like the side chick I got living down the street. But he doesn't say that. It gets really weird, and Iana kind of reaches out to her mom and is like, hey, this isn't going so well. I'm really, I'm having like, I, I think she was having postpartum depression kind of at that point, and he's pressuring her, and she's feeling you know, just down. She's feeling like I'm losing my man. I can't keep him happy. And, you know, I I think a woman wants to make her man happy. And she had this American dream and suddenly it's slipping out of her fingers. So she's getting a little worried. Olga is her mom's name. Olga gets on the plane. She comes over. They get Olga her own apartment. I'm, I'm presuming Blake got Olga her well, own apartment. thank goodness they did, well, ultimately. Blake is, Blake is just getting everybody apartments. You get an apartment. You get an apartment. You get an apartment. If you're a woman, Blake gets you an apartment. Luckily, Olga didn't have to put out, and Olga was not having Blake. Olga was not having Blake at all. She saw through Blake, and I don't think Blake tried to hide his little game any at all. Olga was in her own apartment. And basically, you know, she had this, you know, she could see there was an addictive relationship there. She could see it was abusive. It was really creepy. And so, you know, they're they're trying to patch things up. Iana's trying to, like, make Blake happy. Olga's trying to keep her daughter together and, and kind of make sure she's happy. We're now in May 20th. Iana gets a phone call at midnight on May 20th. Why did she get a phone call? Because Blake is in jail. For what? For suspicion of sexual assault. On who? Constance, girl number three. So she's saying Blake is assaulting her sexually and she doesn't want to have sex with him and he's assaulting her. Iana doesn't even know Constance exists. exists. So she's called down to the police station at, at midnight and Blake is on a $100,000 bail at this point. $100,000. So Iana's got to come up with a $100,000 bail for Blake for his... Side piece that she doesn't even know about. After his arrest, everything comes out about Constance, Blake's affair, the condo. You know, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Iana's like, bro, I'm out of here. Take your crap. I'm I'm moving. She has a strong moment. She says, I'm leaving. I'm going to my mother's. The mother's like, get the fuck out of there. Come over to the uh, girl. I got you. What did we talk about the other day? A mother's love. A mother's no, love. don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Once you make that move to Once go and he knows mat, what's yep. on your mind. Once someone shows you who they are, believe them. You saw it. Yeah. Go. They're not going to change. But, you know, it's so hard. They. I know. You, we want to believe people are going to be better. We want to believe in the person we love. We want to believe more in them than our own well, judgment. You put a lot of t- I know. I mean, for me, it's you put a, time, a lot of time and energy into relationship, and you. It's sometimes hard to let them go, but sometimes you just and I'm don't gonna say, go back. I'm going to say she had postpartum depression that messes with your mind and it messes with your hormones, and I think there's a lot going on there. And 
you know, you just have a baby. You don't want you you want to fight for your family. I think any woman, any mother will fight for her family. They do it for the kids. They do it for the kids. So on May 23rd, Iana and her mother are out shopping, and Blake starts texting Iana, <laughs> asking her to come back. I miss you. I change, you know. Iana's like, Mom, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to talk to him on May 23rd. I'm going to go over. I'm just going to talk to him. Can you keep the baby? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there. All right. Mother doesn't like it, but she's like, okay, do what you got to do. Don't I got go the baby. Alone. Don't go alone. Well, she, but even this, Mom knows where you're going. It's the apartment yeah. you've been living in. You know, The next day on May 24th, Iana has not come home to her mother. Her mother starts calling. Her mother starts texting, sending emails, you know. She's calling, she's texting. When you start sending emails to your daughter that went, you know, not far away to the, that, that's already, there's a sign. It's very troubling. Olga gets the police on the phone because Olga's not taking this. So Olga gets the police on the phone. They refuse to do anything. But Olga is not taking this. Olga gets up. Olga goes over to the apartment building. She sees an open window because Blake is on the, it's one of those garden apartments yes, in LA. Yeah. She sees an open window and she goes, because she can't get in the building. You know, you have to go through the buzzer door, but but she sees an open window. She goes around the back to where the apartment is. She sees an open window and she's pounding on the window and she's like, Blake, I know you're in there. Let me talk to Yana. I know you're in there. I'm not having you, Blake. Like you can imagine what she's saying to him. I, I've got my own dialogue in my head. Like you crazy person, give me my daughter back. Blake walks over and shuts the window and walks away. I'm without words. Blake doesn't even say anything to her, like, <sighs> get lost, anything. He just shuts the window and walks away. This is how what crazy. What does Olga do? So by this point, she calls the police again. And she says, you know, I'm here. He just shut the window on me. My daughter's not responding she to me. She wants a wellness check. She calls yeah. and she says, I want a wellness check. And she kind of calls, I think she calls 911 It's by amazing this point. she knew to ask for a wellness check. Yeah. That's yeah. a very specific thing. Yeah. I, I don't know how she knew to do that, but she, she called 911 and she asked for a wellness check. By this point, now the police are knocking on the door. They get there. It takes quite a while for anybody to answer, but he answers the door and doesn't let the police in. So Blakey's not answering the door. He's not letting anybody in. He tells the police, Iana's fine. Everything is great. There's no problem. And they didn't make him produce Iana? Please leave. You don't need to see her at this point. Olga goes home. The next morning, May 26th, that's when Olga calls 911. Olga's like, I'm done with this. Because now it's 48 hours. Yeah, now we're now we've moved on. It's the 26th of May by now. She calls 911 and she says, you know, my daughter's in distress. You gotta send an ambulance. You know, the police arrive at 11.50 in the morning. They get keys from the landlord to get into the apartment, but they can't open the door because Blake has barricaded the door. And apparently at this time, Blake calls his accountant. Not a lawyer. Not a, Exactly. Not a lawyer, but his accountant. Again. Is that to see how much money he has left to hire a lawyer? Obviously, he's got a close relationship with his accountant, accountant. because that's where the money's coming from. So he's probably closer with his accountant than his lawyer. Anybody. He's probably mm-hmm. over mad at his lawyer because he didn't get that other half of the mother's estate. Let's let's you know, like he probably has cursed out the lawyer by this point. He probably has no relationship with the lawyer. And he's he's But that would be a different lawyer. He'd need a criminal yeah. lawyer for this. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And that that too. But I don't think he was thinking that far he was like calling the accountant I it's guess, just such a strange call it just it's really a strange call but i guess yeah. it represents somebody with authority and somebody that can help him somebody's going to help him because i'm sure the accountant was the guy he called all the time like i need money i need money i need money so the accountant was was his go-to guy at this point you know the police are there they're banging on the door they get the keys from the landlord and this is the point like i'm driving home and i see this mess by this by this point i'm probably driving home like it's all blocked off there well that was 11:50 in the morning i was passing by there in the afternoon 
The accountant turns up. You know, Blake is like threatening, I'm not coming out, I'm not coming out. Finally, the accountant talks to him, and he he decides to come out. He says, you know, can you get me my clothes? Uh, I'm just in my boxer shorts. And they can see, because he's like barricaded. So you come in, and there's this hallway, and they're going down this hallway, and then that's barricaded. And by this point, the accountant showed up there, and Blake is like, finally, I'm not going to come out because I'm scared you guys are going to hit me. I'm scared you guys are going to hurt me. I don't want to come out. Like, suddenly Blake becomes a bitch. <laughs> like, I'm scared. Like, Blake is, I think he's knows how bad this is. You have no idea how bad this gets. Wait, wait till we get, get further. What's been going on in that apartment over the last few days is so brutal and disgusting and heinous. They go to give him his pants so he can come out because he's scared he's going to get hit. And, the, you know, everybody's like, we're not going to hurt you, blah, blah, blah. They get him his pants. Turns out he has his passport and three or $4,000 in his pants pocket. So he's already got a plan to get out of Dodge. To run. Yeah, he's got a plan to run. And I guess that's why he's calling the accountant, get me more money. Um, by this point, the, the, the police realize that Blake's not alone. He's with his dead girlfriend. Iana's in that room. And at this point, they kind of, they get him out. They see that she's on the bed. She's covered in a red Mickey Mouse blanket that apparently came from the daughter's bedroom, the, the baby's bedroom. So by this point, they've passed other rooms and they start to see blood everywhere as they're, as they're getting more in and Blake is coming out. They start to see that there is blood everywhere. There's blood on the hallway walls. Now, Blake has done the cleanup. You know, he's already done the obligatory, like, let me clean this up as if you can clean up a murder scene that there is blood everywhere. This is just, this is so gruesome. The police are just blown away. Like, they're like, what is going on here? And they kind of see her laying in the bed at this point, and they can't tell everything that's gone on. And and Blake is like, you know, I didn't know she was dead. I, I thought she was just asleep. The police continue to get more frustrated by Blake and his weird answers. At some point, he told them, they'll have to figure it out. You'll have to figure out who killed her. Now, Blake is in this apartment with blood everywhere. Locked in this apartment. Locked and barricaded. Barricaded, barricaded twice. There's two barricades. You've got to get through this one hallway. There's a barricade. Then that's when they kind of can see the guest room. They see the blood. They get to the bedroom. They open the door, and he's not, you know, he's only showing little bits, but they see her laying in the bed, and they're like, okay, what's going on? There's blood everywhere. They, they're police. They know what's going on. They start to look closer at the body, and they realize... On the pillow next to her, there's a there's a, a dent in the pillow. You know, again, these are police. They know what to look for. They see this dent in the pillow like someone's been laying next to her. So that's the first thing they see as beside her with this, this Mickey Mouse blanket on her. As they remove the red Mickey Mouse blanket, they see that she has suffered a blunt force trauma. And it was basically vampiric. It, it was gruesome. As the police officers continue the process of the crime, they begin to realize the victim's corpse is brutally disfigured brutally disfigured. The victim's body also, they realize, is devoid of any marked quantity of blood. They realize, like, there's no blood in this girl's body. Like, she's missing blood. Like, she's cold. They can see that she's um blue. Blue, and just there's no density. The, the blood is missing. Now, you know, it's crazy. Her body was, is completely drained of blood. Blake has scalped Iana. He's been cutting off body parts. So they start oh to realize her, her eyebrow Eyebrows. is missing. Her ear is missing. Parts of her head are missing. Like, this is gruesome. And apparently, as they start to put it all together, Blake has been taking these body parts and flinging them around the apartment. Like, there's an eyebrow over here. There's another part of the body over there. 
Then he tried to clean this whole mess up. It was just the most gruesome scene. And this is what the cop said to me. He was literally like, when I stopped. He was shocked. He said, I've never seen anything like this in my entire time on the force. This is like the worst case. Like, bro, you don't understand. There's blood everywhere. This was like, he scalped her. And the, the, the officer said that they scalped her, which I thought it was, I think they were so in shock. They just didn't even keep it in. He just was so haunted by what they had seen. And I could see it in the police officer's face. Like, he was haunted by what he had seen. Blake had tried to clean it up. Uh, it was a frightening, brutal attack. There was blood ev- everywhere. Iana was on the bed, and the first attack... Apparently, she was on the bed when the first attack happened. They found a knife and a razor blade that were apparently used in the murder and subsequent scalping. Now, this was in the bathroom. So, part of this sort of took place in the bathtub as well. Then he moved her. He was, he was having a, f- a field day in there. He was just playing with this dead body for days, apparently, and and doing all kinds of horrible things to the body. The police used the blue light to detect where the blood is in the apartment, and what else happened? The blood had been everywhere. It was in the hallways, the floor, the walls. They also found blood stains in the tub and the razor with hair on it. They they scrubbed it, but, you you know, you can't hide it from the police. You you know, the blue light tells everything. I mean, he scrubbed it. Yeah, he scrubbed it. He scrubbed it. He tried to scrub it. He tried to hide it. But you can't, you know, you can't hide from the police. You know, they're going to find this. Again, so crazy. Again, we go back to how people think they're going to get away with this. Absolutely. So then they decide, let's check check the trash chutes. Let's see where things are. Oh, no. So they go into the trash chute next to the apartments, and they go in in the basement. They find 11 bags of evidence 11 garbage bags full of bloody sheets and bloody towels and they find the handprint they find blake's handprint bingo there is your evidence they that's what they were really looking for it's so fascinating you're in his apartment there's a dead body there he's got everybody barricaded in but the evidence is the bloody handprint obviously they know that. So then you have the razor blade. You still have to, you can check the razor blade for fingerprints. Well, he but could have come upon the scene yes. for all they know. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure that might have happened. <laughs> and then ba- let me barricade myself in with my my brutalized, vampirically brutalized wife. I know, but they want to make sure that nobody absolutely. can escape. You want to make sure you have all that evidence. So you have the razor blade. Again, they couldn't check for fingerprints right then, but I'm sure afterwards that becomes check part of evidence. You know, Blake was was arrested. His mugshot was extremely eerie. He was, he was smiling. Grinning. Oh, he yes. Was smiling. Grinning. Did you see that, that mugshot? He was grinning. Like, was he was scary. living his true crime fantasy. Like, he basically, this scene was, and, and we have all the pictures of, of the, the, the scene, of the crime scene. I mean, it is brutal. There's just blood everywhere. And it's very reminiscent of his first book. It, it was really, he lived out that fantasy. Like, whatever whatever script flipped on him. On May 31st, he was charged with murder, mayhem, and torture to Iana. Blake pleaded, not, not guilty. guilty. Of course. At this point, the accountant says, you know. He didn't go for an insanity defense or anything? No, 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 no. That's what I thought he was angling for. I think that's what he was angling for, but they proved him him competent that he could. (laughs) I don't know how they proved him sane, but they proved him competent Competent. to be able to go on trial. That's what I meant. Blake was given a psychiatric test to see if he was competent, and he passed with flying colors. Isn't that crazy? This person is clearly deranged but passes with flying colors. During the questioning, Blake said that women don't like him. Women only like him for money. I wonder who he got that idea from. You know, this is the whole dad thing and the power of the money and the divorce. And this is all that childhood trauma. It's fascinating what parents 
subconsciously do without it, subliminally do. It's, it's amazing what parents subliminally do to their children without even realizing it. You know, parents are just living their life. You don't have to take a test to be a parent. It's kind of amazing. You have to take a test to be a doctor or a lawyer, but you don't have to take a test to be a parent. The police had a lot of barricades. People did not want to be associated with Blake. They didn't want to come forward. Nobody wanted to talk about him. A few people just said he was crazy. He was really aggressive. We stopped dealing with him. Is a this, lot of people. Is this where Constance comes back in? <laughs> well, no. Well, you foreshadowed. Yeah, Constance is definitely around. By by time the trial ends and everything's all over, Amanda actually has to put a, a cease and desist order against Constance. She she, she became a stalker. Yeah. Constance kind of kept stalking Amanda, and Amanda had to separate her from her kids and everything. Like Amanda was worried; she has two kids. Like, yeah, for sure. She basically had a had a, had to put that out on September twentieth, twenty seventeen. The autopsy report was released to the public. The autopsy said that Iana was killed somewhere between May twenty third and twenty sixth. So all those times oh, that the so mother he was, was three three days with her. Yeah. So when the mom went to the house and was at the window, and he just shut the window. Oh on well, her, I mean, he was already he, deep. Into you knew this. he was already deep into it. This is crazy. This is really crazy. Your heart um, breaks for the mother standing outside the window knowing something's going on. And she just had that intuition. She, she had knew. that instinct. So the average person has five liters of blood, about a gallon and a half. A gallon and a quarter. Yeah, a gallon and a quarter. So the average person has about five liters of blood, a gallon and a quarter. Iana had less than a teaspoon of blood left in her body. How does that happen? How does that happen? Her skull had been stripped down to the surface of the bone. Well, you know, head wounds bleed. They're the worst bleeders. Absolutely. Pieces on the back of her neck, portion of the right side of her face were torn off all the way down to her jawline. Oh, my God. There were bruises all over her body, cuts on her face, primarily on the left side. So when the police came in, they didn't see everything because right away. Because, yes, and so that's yeah. where the pillow was that he was on, apparently just laying next to her and playing with uh, her uh, dead stop. corpse. Oh. I mean, it's it's terrible. And apparently, Iana lived for eight hours during the torture. She was alive for Are eight you hours me? of the torture. No. After receiving the first scalp injury, she was alive for eight more hours. That's deep. That's really that's deep. very deep. At the trial, Olga was was at all the court proceedings. She didn't speak English, but they had a court-appointed translator of her. Maybe it's better she didn't speak English. Absolutely. How could you hear that? The prosecution had created a 3D model of the crime scene, which was one of the first times this had been used. So it really oh, this allowed— this is the photograph where they photograph the whole entire yeah. room in a circle, and it looks like you're actually in the room? Absolutely. And this is one of the first times that this kind of evidence was used in a, in a crime scene. And it could so really the make jury, you feel what's going like on. Like you're there, like yeah. you're walking in and these barricaded doors and this blood and just it's the goriness of everything. Um, they also we showed do, text yeah. messages that proved that Blake had ordered food delivered to the house several times during Iana's torture, and he would leave very specific instructions for the delivery people, like, don't come in, don't knock, just buzz and leave it outside. I'll pick it up. Like, how are people committing murders and eating? I, I, I can't even eat after talking about this story. It, it leaves me without an appetite. He used Diana's phone to make these deliveries again, like almost like they try to like do these setups to kind of prove their innocence. No, Iana was alive. She was ordering food. It's the weird things they think of to kind of cover themselves. The trial lasted only one Which week. Which is why he wasn't able to do an insanity defense, because he was calculating and thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. The trial lasted only one week. On June 2018, after 90 minutes of deliberation, Blake was convicted of first-degree murder and supplemental charges of torture and mayhem 
38-year-old Blake was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. Hallelujah. That is justice being served because could you imagine if that crazy person was on the street roaming? I mean, that is just insane. Cody was the only family member to show up at his trial. He wouldn't speak to the press. Amanda showed up at the courthouse after the verdict was read. By this point, she had cut ties with Constance, fearing for her own family's safety. She eventually got a restraining order against Constance. I mean, there's a lot of crazy going on here because Constance is the assistant that's helping with these graphic novels. So she's got some twisted stuff, too. Olga, here's the here's the good part of the story. If there is any silver lining, because you can't even imagine, like, Amanda's life has changed. Imagine those two poor boys. Imagine those two innocent children of, of Blake's. And Olga. And, and Olga. Well, well, Amanda's two sons. Amanda's two sons didn't get anything. They just have a crazy father in there. They're the sons of a, a, a horrible murderer. Like, to live with that legacy is just, is just horrible. Olga filed a $65 million lawsuit against Blake, and... And none of his family members appeared in court. Nobody apologized. Nobody from Blake's side of the family showed up for that trial. And the court ordered that Blake pay her $41.6 million. So she has the baby. I, I, apparently, they are back in the Ukraine, which worries wow, me. Wow, that worries you this, even more. At this point in time. But Blake was constantly justice known. Justice was served. Yeah, justice was served. This is this is really this is really one of those psychotic cases of of life imitating art. Or maybe art was imitating life for him. Oh my god. Maybe gosh. it was already in his head. Oh, it You'll was all in know. his head. It was all in his head. The things that people have going on. I know, on but everybody says, "Oh, they he suddenly turned." And I'm going like, "Well, maybe it was already there festering." Oh, Clearly, if this guy is writing these novels back then, it it is already in his subconscious and he's thinking about it. It's in his aura. Well, I don't know about you, but I even still need to take a breath after that. That is a really, really shocking, shocking story. <sighs> it's nice to know that at least her, her little baby girl had some compensation and she's living with her mom and there is some some kind of a happy end to this so tragic story. It's just... It's fascinating how families play such an important part in these in these true crime stories, in these murders, whether it's Ianicide, where her mother really, her mother's persistence, it's always the persistence of the, the victim's family that helps the story be solved. If a family does not pursue it, it feels like the story just doesn't get the attention and doesn't get, get what it needs to be solved. Like, Iana's mother was on that story and she was not, she knew a mother's, a mother's intuition. And we've seen that before with a mother's intuition, a father's intuition. And, and then you, we've seen before where the father is so crazy, his son becomes a misogynistic murderer. I mean, this was really, really quite a story. And I, and I happened to be near there that day. So that really, this story has really lived with me for a long time. I hope you found it fascinating and intriguing and I hope you'll come back and join us for our next episode of True